so I want to, before I, before I preach to you today, I want, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I heard a preacher say one time, I'm not just preaching, I'm saying something. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk to you guys that, that might have responded to our altar appeal a moment ago. Um, or maybe you wanted to and just couldn't, I, I get it, I've been there, you just couldn't, you just couldn't walk down that, I get it. But I want, I want to talk to you for a minute, just a second. Um, I, I believe God heard your prayer, and I believe God is at work on your behalf. But we would love to join you. So, it, listen, I don't need to know your business, but I'd love to pray with you about whatever was going on. So if you just make sure you drop that in the, in the black box on your connection card, we'd love to pray, because we really do pray over those cards. You know, we, we don't just, you know, whatever. We, we really do pray over those cards. All right. All right, I'm going to start my sermon now, okay? Is that all right? I'm going to start my sermon by saying, there's some interesting stuff on the Internet. Did you know that? Would you like me to share a couple of interesting facts on the Internet? Do you know? Listen, did you know... That apple pie is not American. Apples originate, I know, right? Apples originated in Asia. The first apple pie recipe was British. I know, messed me up. Do you know? Listen, did you know that Neil Armstrong never said one small step for man? In an interview, he said that his quote was one small step for a man. You heard it differently because the microphone cut out. There you go. Did you know? Now this, I, what I'm going to tell you now, this might be a trigger for some of you and, and just rock your world. Anybody grow up watching Mayberry? Me too. It is still my favorite television show. Do you know that Andy Griffith and Francis Bavier never got along? Aunt B and Ange didn't like one another. <laughs> How can it just shocked my whole childhood? Sometimes you see things on the internet and you're like, man, I that's just that's kind of different. It's kind of I saw something that I thought I agreed with and then realized that I didn't. I'm in a lot of pastor groups on Facebook, and and it's sort of like the best of times and the worst of times. This one guy said. Um, I think preachers need to preach the whole Bible and not just salvation messages. And the first thing I went was, amen, that's right, that's good. Wait, isn't the whole Bible about salvation? Isn't the whole Bible about the redemption of mankind? Isn't the whole Bible pointing to a bloody cross and an empty tomb? The answer is yes. And so sometimes, like when I, the, the message that we're going to talk about today, sometimes when it's this kind of sermon, I'm like, well, you know, I bet everybody in the church is saved. And, every, you know, we're in the Bible Belt, so everybody loves Jesus anyway. And that's just not true. In fact, we've been talking about the book of Galatians, and something like that is what really got them in trouble. They heard the message, and then they heard another message, and they just went way off track. And, it, and here's what I want us to do today. I want to make sure we're on track. 
I want to make sure that you and I have responded to the real gospel. And that's what today's all about. So I believe we need to be reminded, y'all, frequently why Jesus came and what genuine salvation looks like. So our text today is Galatians chapter 3, the first part of verse 13. And it says, but Christ has rescued us. Could I stop right there? Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Father, in Jesus' name, over the next few moments, just take this weak, 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 weak man and use these words to bring truth and authority into our lives. In Jesus' name. first thing I want you to write down today, the first thing I want you to take note of, and this is not going to be tremendously profound, is that choosing my way over God's way is always a foolish choice. Has there ever been a time when you knew the right thing to do? When you knew God's way and you did it your way anyway? I see a couple of heads nodding. So, So at some point, what you're telling me is we had instruction from the creator of the universe and decided our way was better. There's really only one word for that. Foolish. Would you agree? I'm not not trying to bust your chops. I'm not trying to call you. uh, But Paul did the same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 the whole day. So if you got your Bible, something with the Bible on it, not the whole day. I'm going to let you go eventually. (laughs) Something with the Bible Bible on it, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. First words out of his mouth in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, let me just unpack that for you. That sounds like an insult, doesn't it? Does it sound like an insult? Do you know why? Because he was insulting them. But not like you might think. He, He wasn't calling them stupid. He wasn't telling them that they were not intelligent, that they didn't have all the right information. What he was telling them was, you've got all the right information. You're just ignoring it. God, help us. I've done it. You've done it. God, I know you want me to go down this path. I know you want me to follow you, but I'm just going to do it my way. And listen, I'm just going to tell you that's always the wrong choice. (laughs) He said, he said, it's it's as if you've had an evil spell cast on you. (laughs) Some translations, your Bible, you might be reading it says, who has bewitched you? Who has be- See, the ancient Greeks, this is kind of cool, had this idea that they believed that a spell could be cast on you if you looked into the evil eye. And so that's what he's saying. Who, whose eye did you look into? Who's bewitched you? Now, now, he didn't believe that there was a literal spell cast on him like the, the movie or like the show Bewitched. Y'all remember that? Okay. That's not what he was talking about. But he did believe that there had been staring at an evil eye. And this is cool. In the Greek, 
in the, in the ancient Greek culture, the evil eye belonged to a serpent. So I wonder if there have been times when we've been bewitched because we've stared into the eyes of the serpent and we've taken our eyes off Jesus. The answer is yes. And that's really what we're going to unpack today. Is What, what about those times in our lives when we've known the right information? We've known what God would have us do. We, we knew the right thing to do and we just ignored it. See, there's this group. This is what the, the book of Galatians is all about. This group of people that came to the Galatian churches and said, hey, Paul way, Paul's way is good. That gospel is good. He's missing a piece. They were called the Judaizers. And they said, yes, you can be a Christian, but before you can be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew first. And you've got to follow all these laws. And you've got to follow all these rules. And you've got to follow all these regulations. And until you do that, you can't be saved. In other words, they were saying that the cross of Christ was not enough. I wonder if our own religious system hasn't done some of the same things. We've, we've told people that, yes, you've got you to do the right thing, and you've got to act the right way, and you've got to think the right thoughts, and then you can be saved. You've got to have Jesus and something. And I'm going to tell you, that's not the gospel. Paul quotes something that happened thousands of years before. And he talked about Abraham. And he said, Abraham was counted righteous, not because he followed the rules, not because he did all the sacrifices. Abraham was counted righteous for one reason, because he believed. See, we've done, we, we figured out sometimes how to follow the religious rules of the day. We go to lifepointchurch.cc and we put some money on the. We fill out our connection card. We raise our hand and sing our song. And that's, those are all beautiful expressions of our love for God. But it's got to start with what do you believe? And that's what we're going to talk about today. When we foolish foolishly decide that take our eyes off Jesus and lock eyes with the serpent and do things his way it's just foolish so where does that foolishness come from let's take a little let's I'm gonna help you because now you're going I'm I'm a fool where does that foolishness come from where does it come from in your DNA write this down your humanity was a curse. Because you were born, and this, you know, when, I, when I'd say things like this, it sounds depressing, and I promise you there's going to be a good part. But you were born into sin. You were born a sinful human being who was programmed to do the wrong thing. You've never had to teach a child how to lie. Right? You've never had to teach a child how to be selfish. Mine, 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 mine. Right? 
It's in our... In, in fact, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says it this way. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under His curse. For the Scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law is everyone. Nobody. Well, there was one. See, the line of perfect people is really short, and it's not you, and it's not me. It's Jesus. And the curse, the curse of our humanity has repercussions. Some of you have experienced them. Some of you know what hurt feels like. Some of you know what betrayal feels like. Some of you know what depression feels like. Some of you know what trauma feels like. Do, do I need to keep going? Because the curse has consequences. I had, I had two meetings this week with, with folks who were dealing with repercussions of the curse. People hurt them. And I'd love to say, you know, uh, if you follow Jesus, you'll never be hurt again. Some of you would say, that's not true, Dwayne. Because I follow Jesus and somebody that said they followed Jesus hurt me. It's in our humanity. Everyone who didn't follow the law is under a curse. You and I were, notice, notice the word, were under a curse. But how many know there's still repercussions? I, I wonder if you would just let me know if there's ever been a moment in your life after, you've, after you receive Christ and you're walking in the newness of life when, when the enemy, the serpent, tried to stare at you the eye and tried to take you down a path that you thought you had laid down. Anybody? Yeah. And we get... The truth of the matter is what, what happens many, many times is we, we don't call it what it is. Well, that anger is just who I am. That lust is somebody else's fault. That what, whatever the enemy tempts you with his glaring gaze, all of those things have one thing in common. People say, and, and people read the Bible and they think, well, what, what is it? Why do we get the law anyway? And if you, by the law, I'm talking about the Mosaic law. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And I'm not going to, this is not theology 101. So I'm just going to tell you, it's not an Old Testament survey, but just know that the law was a, a list of over 600 rules and regulations. You know, God gave us 10 and, and they attached a whole bunch more to it. Why would we have it? Why did he give it to us in the first place? Write this down. Your sin and your failure is a declaration of desperation. Galatians 3.19 says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. 
But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Let's unpack that. See, your inability to live according to God's standard is proof that you are in desperate need of a Savior. In a, and, and what the law proved is that we cannot do this on our own. You don't have the willpower. You don't have the gumption. You don't have the intestinal fortitude to follow all of God's standards on your own. And, and the fact that you can't is a glaring declaration that I need help. Can I tell you what prayer I pray more than anything else? More than any other prayer. More than I pray for my wife. More than I pray for my children. The prayer I pray more than any other pray, prayer is five words. Five words. Jesus, I need your help. Sometimes that's all I have time for. Jesus, I need your help. My sin, my failure is a glaring declaration that I can't do this on my own. He said that, that Moses and the law was the mediator between God and man. But I have good news for you. There's a brand new mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, that man Christ Jesus. We don't lean on the law as our mediator. We lean on Jesus. It, it, Dwayne, what, what do you mean by mediator? Here, listen, um, a mediator is a bridge. A bridge between God and man. And there was, an, there was a mediator bridge that was called the law, and it was broken, and it was insufficient, and it wasn't good, and it didn't work. And Jesus came along and built a perfect bridge between God and man. By his death on the cross. And here's what happens, y'all. We'll, we'll go across the new bridge and we'll think, there were some parts of the old bridge that I kind of liked. How foolish. How foolish. How many times have we gone back to the old life because there are parts of it that we really, really liked? Why is that a problem? See, the book of Galatians is all about freedom. It's all about the freedom that we enjoy because of the cross and an empty tomb. And I, I, I need you to grasp this. Every temptation, regardless of what it looks like, is the enemy's attempt to rob you of that freedom. So, you know, people want to look at, at this kind of message and say, well, then it doesn't matter how I live. If it's all about the grace of God and, and, and His forgiveness and the work of the cross, nothing could be further from the truth. It's, it's our perspective. We can't, we can't try to walk in holiness because we're trying to earn our salvation. And you've heard me say this before, but I need you to understand this. We do that in response to our salvation. Our sin is designed to kill us, destroy us, and rob us of our freedom. So write this down. Sin is not a sickness to be treated but an enemy to be defeated. So 
All right, let, let, me, let me just, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but let's just. <laughs> See, we treat temptation like we treat a house guest. We'll let them in, and we'll let temptation take up residence. Even though we know that, all right, that's, th- this house guest may not, may not be good for me. This house guest may be here to kill me, but we're going we're gonna to be hospitable and let them hang out because we kind of like them. Here's what we have to learn. And, and I'm, I, I said we on purpose. When that thing comes into our life to steal and kill and destroy, we've got a choice. We can let it take up residence in our heart or we can kill it. It's, it's not something that we need to... I, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, y'all. It's, it's not something we need to flirt with. It's not something we need to toy with. Because every temptation is designed to rob you of your freedom. And if I want to live in freedom... Now, now that doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life from this day forward. It doesn't. I don't. My wife's the only one that I know that does. No, she doesn't. But our perspective about the enemy's evil eye needs to change. That lure, I'm going to use a buzzword, that lure isn't just an opportunity for you to be your authentic self. I don't want to be my authentic self. (laughs) I know what that man looks like. My authentic self has been crucified with Christ. I'm a new man. I don't want that old man alive anymore. (laughs) That old man is a reminder of the curse. That old man is a reminder of chains and bondage. That old man is a reminder that that I didn't have a plan and I didn't have a purpose. That old man is a reminder of who I used to be and I don't want to be that anymore. And the enemy wants to lock his evil eye on our gaze and, and use who we used to be and the things that we were weak in. Is this making sense at all? Because I feel like I'm rambling this morning, but I'm, I want you to hear my heart. I've never been one of those, you know, those preachers that just wail about, uh, you know, every little thing because I've I've learned, you know, I've I've made the joke that my grandmother would roll over in her grave if she saw me standing on a pulpit with jeans on. You see, we, for for years and years and years and years and years, we majored on minors and, and I don't want to do that. But here's what I do want to make sure that we, we change our perspective. There's some things that the enemy wants to use to kill you right. and to destroy your, your freedom in Christ. Yeah. And if we're not very careful, y'all, if we're not very aware and we begin to flirt with things that are... Why would you flirt with a murderer? Why would you entertain a, a serial killer? Now, that's a... That's a ridiculous exaggeration, but it's really not. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what he wants to do is he wants to, re, uh, to renew the curse. 
but I have good news. On the cross, write this down, Jesus reversed the curse. Let's read this again. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. <laughs> for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Jesus took my curse and crucified it on the cross of Calvary. And that is the gospel. And that's good news. And we try to attach so many things to that. I've said this about a thousand times over the last three months, but I want you to hear me. Here's what the gospel is. It's forgiveness. It's freedom. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. He is all you need. Period. And our humanity wars against that. Well, there's got to be, there must be something I have to do to earn it. No, there's not. Because you, you, you don't have the money to buy it. You don't have the time to serve it. You, that would almost, we had harbor for a couple days this past it would almost be silly as, as expecting Harbor to pay rent for staying in my house for a couple days. There's, there's no way she could, right? There's no way I can earn the blessing of God. There's no way I could earn his favor. And so here's how I want to live my life, and I hope this is how you want to live yours. And I'm I'm trying to get there, and I'm, I'm moving toward this, and, and here's where I want to be, and here's where I want you to be, is, is when I recognize the blessing and favor of God, I want to hate anything that would try to rob me of that. Yeah. I want to I run from the things of this world that would steal and kill and destroy. Now, see, I used to think that freedom meant I could live however I wanted to live. I've lived however I wanted to live, and it certainly wasn't freedom. It was bondage. It was pain. But I can say with conviction, I know what freedom feels like. Yeah. And I didn't earn it. And I didn't purchase it. I received it because I believed. And, if, and maybe you're here and, and you've tried to, to find it by following the rules, and you've tried to find it by being a good human. I wonder how that's working. Maybe you've tried to find it just by doing the, doing the Christian stuff. Giving the money, coming to church, putting a life point sticker in your window. There's been no change in your heart. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a word guy. And I like, to, I like to study where words come from. And so I, I thought if Jesus reversed the curse, what's the opposite of curse? 
What do you think? Blessing. In fact, it, it came up with two words. The opposite of a curse is blessing and favor. Blessing and favor. So am I to believe that because Jesus took my curse on a tree, that I can now live a life that is a life of blessing and favor? And the answer is yes. That's your last fill-in, by the way. Faith in Christ and His gospel is the doorway to blessing and favor. And we are going to celebrate that today. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't know where you're at in your own spiritual journey I'll just finish this, this time together by telling you, and this may seem weird for a pastor to say this, I had a, conversation with, <laughs> had a conversation with somebody and they said, I'm just not religious anymore. And I said, I'm so glad because I'm not either. <laughs> I had somebody ask me this question. They said, how do you know? You know, it's, I had this conversation with somebody, and they were like, I, I want to know for sure that, that this is real. How do you, and, and I'm just not there. How do you know, Dwayne? And I thought, man, and that was one of those, Jesus, I need your help. And so I told her my story. I said, at 13, 14 years old, Jesus introduced himself to me, and I've been talking to him ever since. And she said, I just want something solid. And I said, I want you to hear me. At 14, it wasn't solid. At 57, you could sooner convince me that my wife wasn't real. <laughs> just know this. This gospel, it's real. And sometimes I fumble because I don't have the right words to say it. But it's real. And Jesus really does change lives. And he really does fill your life with purpose and passion. And he really does put, a, put your life on a path. He really, really does. He really is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He really is a God who loves and saves and delivers and he heals. And I hope that you know him. And I don't want you to be religious. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. Donna, come on. If you don't have communion elements, if you'll raise your hand and somebody will, somebody will bring them to you. We, we do this for, for really one reason only. is because Jesus told us to. On, on the last night Jesus was on earth, he, he gathered those people that were closest to him. And he gave them this beautiful example. And it was around a table and they were having a meal. We do it with these, you know, cute little plastic cups, but they were having a meal. And Jesus wanted to describe to them what was going to happen the next day. And he used the meal. 
took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Now let me tell you, listen, if you're in this room, God help us. If you're in this room and, and this feels like a, re, a, a religious ceremony, it's, it's anything but that. This is an opportunity for you and I to search our hearts. So pray with me. Father, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of those moments when we've locked our gaze with the evil eye of the serpent. Forgive us of those times when we've gone our own way, when we should have known that your way was right. Forgive us for entertaining things that are meant to rob us of our freedom. <laughs> Forgive us. Holy Spirit, search all of our hearts. Bring us to a place of repentance. In Jesus' name. And he took that loaf of bread and he said, this bread is my body that is broken for you. For your healing, for your deliverance. And every time you eat this bread, you remember that. Every time you eat this bread, you remember that it's my body that is broken for you. So take and remember the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And then he took a cup blessed it and he said this cup is my blood of the New Testament in other words he said I'm building a brand new bridge with my blood there's a new mediator between God and man there's a new covenant This blood, this cup represents my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Aren't you glad? Take and drink. I want you to take just a moment and give thanks for the broken body and the shed blood of Christ Jesus. your own way, in your own words. Donna's going to sing that chorus.
think it'd be in order if all across this room you stood to your feet and you gave God an ovation of praise for the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. The Bible says clap your hands, all you people, and just shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We triumph today, not because we're good, but because Jesus reversed the curse, and that's good news. Amen, amen. God bless you. Here's what I want you to do. This. After-